Praise God. If you have your Bibles or you would like to look up on our screen or you have your devices, we could go to uh, James, the fourth chapter of James. We want to look at one portion of Scripture and then we can be seated. I'll try my best to be as short as possible. Here's the reason for that, because God can work on your heart better than you can hear what Raj has to say. I'm just going to deliver what he's given to me, and then we're going to just let it go. All right? I mean, with me there. And that requires some amens. You can even stand up and amen. You got a handkerchief, you can say, preach it. <laughs> if you agree. If you don't agree, do not throw food. <laughs> Praise God. I love you people. It's a great brother. Uh, <clears throat> Freeze, it's good to see you, my friend. All our visitors, can we give them a welcome? Praise God. This is a simple scripture. Some of us may know it. It's an important one. I, I, it's one of my favorites. I've got quite a list of them. It's real simple to understand. Here we go. Draw. Let's say it together. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Praise God. Lord bless you. You may be seated. I want to preach to you from this title, The Danger of Windows. The danger of Windows. I'm not talking about a software program by Bill Gates. Don't like those windows. I'm an apple. I'm an apostolic, and it has its problems too. So, how many believe we're living in the last days? I mean, really. Uh, let's see. It's twenty-five to. I'll write that down so I don't run over it. <laughs> I've heard the coming of the Lord preached since I was a kid. And uh, the difference now is it's everywhere. The difference now, and you cannot tell me that you don't feel something even more intense when you pray. The difference now is when you hear something, read something, see something, have somebody tell you something, that you shake your head and say, Lord, please come quickly. But here's the thing. It's not on a rescue mission. We heard about that this morning in our lesson, and Brother John taught a great lesson on being empowered by the Spirit of God. He's given you power. How many believe that? Where is my... Uh, my phone's over there. <clears throat> but you don't go to sleep at night until you go home and you plug your phone in. Am I right or wrong? Some of you fancy people have a little pad that you put it on and it will charge automatically. And that's such a simple thing to understand technology and the phones that everybody is so tied to. It can help you out, but it can also hurt you. Is that we have to all, we have to plug into God, 
it takes something on our part. You know what I do is I wait till all the lights are out. You got your phone. Oh, man, I forgot to plug it in. And then you try to feel around, and you're like this, clip, clip, and you're like this. Oh, wait, upside down. I got to turn it around and click, click. And then you open it and turn it on, and you try to feel this little button, and you try to. It takes some work. Do you think that phone would get powerized if I just let it alone? I have to hook it up. I have to plug it in. I have to hook all the wires up. I have to make sure that it's doing the right thing. I, it requires me to do something. And the scripture said that you shall receive power. I'm, I'm ready to receive, aren't you? Who watches a football game that has a nice quarterback that's worth millions of dollars and a sloppy little old wide receiver that can't catch? And he runs his pattern and everything. But listen, I played football in high school. I played football as a kid. I played football, street football, nothing like it. I played football. It's great to play. And I always wanted to be the receiver because I always wanted to get the ball and score the touchdown. But here's the thing. If I'm going to be a receiver, I have to work at it. You can have the best quarterback, but if you don't have any hands, what good is it? Why should you pay me millions? I can throw the ball and hit you between the numbers, but if you don't know how to catch the ball, that's going to make me look bad. It's going to make the team lose, and then we're going to be in last place, and we're going to be sold off as scrap. (laughs) You've got to work at receiving the things, don't you? And when you're a good receiver, you sacrifice yourself like crazy. You run crazy. You get open. It takes some work to get open in the field. You don't just run down there and just say, hey, throw the ball. You got to work at it. It's the same with receiving the Holy Ghost. It's the same with receiving what God's got for you today. I've got to do something about it. I've been hitting the helmet, I've been hitting the face mask, I've been hitting the shoulder pads, I've been hitting the back. I've been hit all over the place, and I tried my best to catch it. Just sometimes you got to leave your feet and jump. You see these guys, they leap way up there, and they grab it with one hand. You know, they cheat today. I didn't get any gloves. We didn't have any super sticky gloves. Well, this is what we had. You know, 10-degree weather, the snow, you're playing football, no gloves. Tough. Man, that's the way football is. Now they've got heated gloves. they got special stuff. Big suit, you know, you wear. Come on. I don't really, I'm not really making fun, but here's the point. I've come to receive something from God. Here's the point. We're in the last days, aren't we? Here's the point. God's got something going your direction. Here's the point. He's passing it to you all the time. Here's the point. Every time I get into the house of God, every time I feel God pull up my heart, he's got something for me, and I've got to be the receiver. i got to catch it. Draw nigh to God. Let's say draw nigh to God. <laughs> it's a promise. He's going to draw nigh to you. That takes some work, too. 
Matthew 24, the disciples were looking for a sign when they sat there on Mount Olives. He told them that nation's going to rise against nation. How many believe that? Kingdom's going to be against kingdom. There's going to be wars. There's going to be rumors of wars. Am I not preaching from the newspaper or what? He said, but be not troubled. There's going to be famines, yeah. There's going to be pestilences, yeah. There's going to be earthquakes. Many people will be offended. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Are we not in that day and age today? I believe we are. But here's the thing. I want to be sure that I'm going to heaven. Amen. I want to be sure that I'm doing what God wants me to do in my life. I'm going to be sure that I'm ready for his soon coming. And I'm not talking about years. I'm talking about real close. Like never before. The good thing about it is in Joel 2, it said, In that last days, I am going to pour out my spirit upon all flesh. So it doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. God's going to promise. It's a promise. In the last days and we're there, he's going to pour out his spirit on all flesh. All I've got to do is what? Be ready to receive it. All I've got to do is what? Believe it. All I've got to do is act upon it. There's no politician, there's no election that will help give you hope and peace and prosperity in our lives. Only Jesus Christ can satisfy your soul. Yeah. All right. I love Christmas. Here's my Christmas part today, and I'm hurrying. Please bear with me as I read this. This is kind of cool. I like math. I like statistics. And and when we when we read all of this and, and, and come up with the end results, this is just amazing. It's amazing to me the prophecies that 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 Jesus fulfilled in Bethlehem. Amazing. This is called the mathematical probability that Jesus is the Messiah. Math. How many like math in high school, school, algebra? Geometry was my favorite one. I love geometry. The science of probability, please bear with me as I read this paragraph. The science of probability attempts to determine the chance that is given to event or an occurrence. So a professor in Westmont College, I failed to look that up. I have no idea where it is. He calculated the probability of one man fulfilling the major prophecies made concerning the Messiah. The estimates were worked out by 12 different classes representing 600 university students. The students carefully weighed all the factors discussed in each prophecy at length and they examined the various circumstances which might indicate that men had conspired together to fulfill a particular prophecy. You see what that statement meant? Some guys twisted everything up just so it would come out with that end result. They, they looked at it that way. They made their estimates conservative enough so that there was finally unanimous agreement even among the most skeptical students. 
However, the professor then took their estimates and made them even more conservative. He also encouraged other skeptics and scientists to make their own estimates to see if his conclusions were more than fair. Not like elections. Finally, he submitted his figures for review to a committee of the American Scientific Affiliation. Upon examination, they verified that his calculations were dependable and accurate in regard to the scientific material presented. For example, here's the first one, and I've only got a couple. I mean, there's more, but I only choose to. Concerning Micah 5 and 2, where it states that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, the professor and his students determined the average population of Bethlehem from the time of Micah to the present. Then they divided it by the average population of the earth during the same time period, and they concluded that the chance of one man being born in Bethlehem was 1 in 300,000. Hmm. After examining only eight, let's say eight, eight different prophecies, they conservatively estimated that the chance of one man fulfilling eight, let's say eight, eight prophecies was one in ten to the 17th power. And that's what I'm going to illustrate here. That's one times ten with 17 zeros. Everybody got that? Big number, isn't it? <clears throat> the professor gave this illustration. If you mark one of ten tickets and you place all the tickets in a hat and you thoroughly stir them and then ask a blindfolded man to draw one, his chance of getting the right ticket is one in ten. Because there's only 10 tickets. That's cool. So suppose that we take 10 to the 17th power number of silver dollars. Coins. And you lay them on their face and you cover the entire state of Texas. Hmm. And they cover all the state of Texas two feet deep. Now, you mark one of those silver dollars, just one, and you stir it in with the whole mass that you have, and you blindfold that man, and you tell him to go find it. That is 1 times 10 to the 17th power. How many prophecies? Eight. So let me, let, let me throw some more figures here. And I, I'm, I'm hurrying, really. This is not my, my message, but I'm hurrying. The square miles of Texas is 268,597. <laughs> That's 171,891,850 acres. That's big. Everything's big in Texas. There's 43,560 square feet to one acre. 
So, square footage-wise, the state of Texas, 7.48805 trillion square feet, state of Texas. How would you like to lay that carpet? Oh, my. So, I went so far as to find the thickness of a silver dollar. And I stacked them up, how many there are in an inch, and I multiplied it out to a square foot of silver dollars stacked two feet tall. It's somewhere around 22,000 silver dollars on one square foot. So uh, this is quite a number of silver dollars, an estimate. 1.64736 with 11 zeros quintillion silver dollars. That's a lot, isn't it? And one of them's marked. And you go blindfolded through the whole state, Dallas, Fort Worth, Waco. You just find a place, two feet, and you reach down, and you pick that one that's marked, and you hold it up and say, I found it. And you only get one chance. How many prophecies are we talking about? Eight. How many prophecies in the Bible does anybody know concerning the Messiah? Over 300. That's virtually almost impossible. But that's how big God is. That's how accurate God is. And you're telling me that you've got something that he don't know about? That he can't help you with? That he he can't figure this out? That I've got something that God's just stumped with? That I've got a problem at work that God just can't seem to work out somehow? Oh, mathematics. Ah. Jesus doesn't even fit in your mind. 1.768 gigawatts. It doesn't fit. And that's only eight. There's another one that I'm not going to explain. They went from eight to, okay, let's try 48 prophecies fulfilled. How many in the Bible? And this one went all the way through electrons. He started with electrons. Lining up electrons on a board. You know, that's smaller than the atoms. It's inside that goes around that makes the atoms slow. It was like 2.5 something times 10 to the 15th power, just electrons that you line them up. And And you do that, and there's so many millions of them in an inch. And that number, you know, for 58 was 10 times or, or 1 times 10 to the 157th. And we just did 17. 
So he said it would take you 19 million years to line up all those electrons. How many is that for, Roger? 48. <laughs> How many are we talking about in the Bible? 300 plus. Don't you just love Christmas? Look, it, it's even more powerful to you that you understand the babe in the manger, that you know all, that you see the whole picture, that you see it everything, that you see that Jesus is not just my provider, he's not just my healer, he saved me from my sins. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. That's what Bethlehem's about. This is just math. This is just figures on paper. But oh my God can do anything, can't you? Name me something that he can't do. For with God all things are possible. With God I can go to Texas and stick down in there and pull that coin out. Why? Because I want to be on his side. Don't you want to be on God's team? Don't you want to be in his house? Don't you want to be called by his name? Oh, my God. I love Christmas. That's my Christmas part. And people nowadays, they want to get rid of a religion. They want to take him out. Took him out of schools in the 60s. They want to do everything they can to, to, to stop worship. That's the whole idea. They want to stop you from coming here and worshiping. They want to stop you from praying. They want to stop you from visiting. They, they'll, they'll go as far as to stop you from giving. That's how we'll fix these churches. We'll cut out all the giving. Don't think that they haven't thought about that. Praise God. Let's all say the danger of a window. <coughs> that picture up there you'll see is a young man sitting in the windowsill. What's that got to do with Christmas? Well, I, I don't know. You can decorate it. The purpose of my message here today is what we started off with reading in Hebrews, or I'm sorry, James, that we need to draw nigh to God. That's not. Let's go to Acts, the 20th chapter, verses 8 through 12. There were many lights in the upper chamber where they were gathered together. And there sat in a window, let's say window, a certain young man named Eutychus. Some people call him Eutychirus. <laughs> Eutychus. Being fallen into a deep sleep, and as Paul was long preaching, he sunk down with sleep and he fell down from the third loft and was taken up dead. And Paul went down, fell on him, embracing him, said, Trouble not yourselves, for his life is in him. When he therefore was come up again and had broken 
bread and eaten and talked a long while, even till the break of day. So he, Paul, departed. And they brought the young man, Eutychus, alive. And there was not a little comforted. That means a lot of people rejoiced because of what happened and the miracle that happened. His name was actually translated as Lucky. Think of that. There's Lucky in the window. Eutychus is translated into meaning fortunate. So we won't call him Leroy. We'll call him Lucky. The problem is that Lucky seemed to get bored with church. So he decided to seek some relief during the service while Paul was expounding the word of God. And he found a window in the back and he rested on the sill. I'm sure he was maybe catching some cool breeze and maybe seeing what's going on outside. Because I'm just a little bored with church. Ah, same Christmas stuff. Same kind of Bible stuff. Listen, here's. If you did not, if you were not here the Thursday nights that <clears throat> Brother Bruce taught on, um, what was it, the rhythm of agreement, you need to go to our website. You need to find those two Thursday nights and you need to listen to those. Because when we all agree, just like in the upper room, things happened. Are you still hanging with me today? Agree with me that something needs to happen in the churches. Agree with me that, that revival needs to sweep over this place. Agree with me that the devil wants to shut us down, that the devil will do everything. And he starts with your family, starts tearing the families apart. You can see what that happens in, in the cities and in the, in the families where the devil destroys a lot of stuff that there's really no foundation to build upon. But I'm here to tell you I'm built upon the foundation of the rock Christ Jesus, the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. As long as you stay in the word of God and as long as you stay active in the church, as long as we keep lifting up worship to God like we felt, you were not. It was amazing last Sunday here before church started. It just started off again, and the worship just started up. And it's not just this church either. God is pouring out some intense fellowship, some intense, powerful worship that's going on in churches, and I believe that it's just starting here. That's why I've got to get here. That's why I've got to get involved. That's why we've got to put ourselves together and agree together that we're going to take over this city, that the Spirit of God is going to move, that there is a spiritual warfare going on. I refuse to let somebody on the radio preach to me better than I can hear at my pulpit at my church. They're not going to tell me that I need my light to shine. I can find that out on my own. I've got to plug into God. I've got to get all the God that I can and let my light shine in this world. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's revival. It's not a time to be bored in church. There's too much to do to be bored in church. 
God's got a word for you if you would just listen. I think I'm just starting to get preaching here. It's been 25 minutes and I'm hurrying. Because I don't want to be an example here that we read about Paul going all the way to midnight. Nobody falling out of the windows. So Mr. Lucky thought, well, nobody's going to see me. I'm just going to kind of move around in the back, find a window, get a cool breeze. The problem is with windows is it catches your attention. You've done it. I've done it. I put down here as one of my notes, Westgate Elementary, hashtag Mr. Cauliflower. <laughs> Who was Mr. Cauliflower at Westgate Elementary in 1964? He was a janitor. In Westgate Elementary, we had these big, three big sections of windows. I mean, these, these roll-up shades were like 12 feet long. And they were always up most of the time. So when we sat over by the window, we could see, of course, the teacher's teaching. I had no idea what it was on that day. I do remember Mr. Cauliflower and his gravely cutting grass machine coming by. All the time we'd see him go by. I had no idea what the teacher was teaching. Don't know what it was. But we did get warnings. Eyes up here. I don't know what they would do nowadays. And then when it got really bad, she would just go over there and grab the blind and pull it down. Hi, Mr. Cauliflower. The best day was when it broke down in front of your window. Oh, yeah. What'd you learn in school today, Rog? How to change a belt on the Gravely tractor by Mr. Cauliflower, the janitor. You understand what windows can do. You understand in the church People get bored, and we don't have a window here, but I'm talking spiritually. They say he's talking spiritually. Some things spiritually and some things physically, they match together, and you can understand it, that I spiritually don't need to sit next to a window in church. So the unthinkable happened to Lucky because, as it always does, way in the back, Lucky fell out of the window three stories high to his death. I believe Jesus is coming back for his church, don't you? I believe, as I said before, he's going to pour out his spirit upon all the flesh. So I don't want to miss anything that he has for me, every service. I can make excuses and say, well, I don't need to come. I don't need that. We need to miss this and we'll need that. This is happening. God's got something for you. I've got to get there. I've got to be there. I can't be caught in between of looking out the window and paying attention to the preacher. I can't be caught by listening to what the world wants me to do and what God wants me to do. I can't live a double-minded life. I've got to choose. I'm either going to do God's thing or I'm going to do the world's thing. I can look out and I can see and I can talk to my neighbors and my people at work and say, you chose the world and look at your life now. They can look at me and I can look in the mirror and say, Rods, you chose God and look at your life now. It's nothing better. It's a blessing. It's a blessing 
blessing to be in the church of God. It's a blessing to feel the Holy Ghost. It's a blessing of Almighty God to know that no matter what comes my way, he's got my hand, he's got my back, he's got my feet, he's got my mind, he's got my eyes, he's got everything that I can give him. Why? Because he's for me who can be against me. Why do I want to be bored? So, Eutychus, a.k.a. Lucky, in Acts 20, was not put in this Bible for us to be cautioned about dozing off during the preaching. That's not why that's there. So there's two things that we can glean from this example of Lucky. Number one, don't get spiritually drowsy. Don't get spiritually drowsy. Don't get spiritually drowsy. Uh, I'm not. I just got you know things to do. And can you kind of hurry up? Don't get spiritually drowsy. Don't wait for next Sunday to pray. Don't think that somebody else can always do it. Don't fall into the 80 or the 20 of the Pareto principle that 20% of the people do 80% of the work, which is true. Be the 20%. Don't be spiritually drowsy because you know what? Here's the thing, and I know this is true because I do it or I've done it, and I can't do it anymore. It's, it's not time to just kind of shrug off when God moves on your heart. It's not time to just say, oh, well, that's a little tickle of the Holy Ghost. That will be fine. I'm ready to go. It's not, it's not time to just test it out and say, oh, well, I felt the Lord today, so I'm good to go. I spoke in tongues for two minutes, so I'm good to go. You have to develop and you have to go deep in God. Right now, we have to do that in order for us to have that revival, in order for us to be effective nowadays. Because why? It's a spiritual warfare. So when you're spiritually, don't go drowsy. Drowsy driving. How many's ever driven kind of drowsy? Was it fun? I've caught myself and I think, man. I don't even remember the last 10 miles. <laughs> the wife goes to sleep. Otherwise, you get one of these. Rod, wake up. Now they, have, now they have all kinds of special sensors and stuff that keeps you in the lane, vibrates the steering wheel, does everything but scream in your wife's voice at you. That doesn't always happen. But it keeps me alive because I don't wreck. <laughs> Drowsy driving causes over 100,000 accidents a year, resulting in over 70,000 injuries and 1,500 deaths because somebody fell asleep at the wheel. When you're drowsy and you're driving behind the wheel, your reaction time and your awareness is so slowed way down, all because your body's craving sleep. We understand that physically, don't we? 
I'm talking spiritually. Don't go drowsily spiritually trying to trying to make it because you can't. Why? Your spiritual reaction time is off. And we need to be sharp, as sharp as we can this day and age, don't we? Amen. Romans 13 and 11 says this, And that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. Amen to that. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 6, Therefore let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. Spiritually speaking. Musicians, if you would come please. Been 40 minutes, uh, 37 minutes. <laughs> I want to be statistically right, mathematically correct. Let's not be spiritually drowsy. I think one thing that this COVID stuff has taught me that I have to have a sincere intense relationship with God because who knows when other things could come our way and things can stop that we normally have because everybody that I talk to and all that, oh man, I wish the old days were back and it was like, it's not ever going to be like that anymore because this evil cabal, this evil that's in this world has got a grip and you, 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 ever, you ever choose sides on baseball and you grip the bat, the bat like this? And they get, a, they get a grip, and they're not going to let that grip go. They take some of your, your freedoms, and they're not going to give it back. But where do I find the best freedom at is in the presence of the Lord. Where do I find my most help is in the presence of the Lord. The second point that we learn from Mr. Lucky is don't spiritually position yourself in the back by a window. That bears repeating. Don't spiritually position yourself in that condition. Oh, well, what do you mean, Rod? My church attendance is like, what, once or twice every six months? You're spiritually positioning yourself in the back because you're Westgate Elementary staring at Mr. Cauliflower all the time. And maybe just to appease yourself as you're in the church, you're in the building, you're in a windowsill, and you're caught back and forth, and you just say, well, you know, I'm fine enough here and all this, and, you know, uh, this has gone over here, and I like this better, and, you know, lights out here, and, you know, I get tired of listening to that Mr. Paul preaching about the word. God's got a word for you, my friend, and I don't want to miss my word. I don't want to miss my open. It, it's the receiver thing again. The ball's getting tossed to you, and, and I've been there. I've been on that. Man, it hits you in the back. It hits you in the face. It hits you in the helmet. Why? Because you're not attentive. You, you're, you're not in. You're not looking for it. 
That's why you've got to, and he's spiritually speaking again, it's not football, football. It's spiritually. God's got something your way. He's got something coming your way. I want to be in the house of God. I want to be on the front row. I want to be up close to the altar. I want to be where the fire is. I don't want to be in the back with a breeze staring outside and saying, oh, my foot and I slipped when I saw the prosperity of the wicked and I wondered, what's going on, God? When you need to realize that all we ever need is Jesus Christ. Don't spiritually position yourself in the back by the windows. 1 Peter 5, 6 through 8 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. How many want to do that? Casting all your care upon him because he cares for you. How many believe God cares for you? Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. You've seen it. You've been there. You've watched the shows. The great planet Earth, narrated by Sigourney Weaver about, oh, and they talk about the animal kingdom and the, the zebras and the lions and all. I said, which ones do they pick? Which ones? Those lions are smart. They don't go after the middle of the pack that they're strong and mighty and everything in the center. They go after the ones on the frail edges, don't they? They go on the ones that's uh, an easy prey when they attack them. <coughs> they go on the weak ones. Why? Because they know that it's an easy kill. It's some easy food. I don't have to extend so much energy to catch them. They don't go after the ones in the middle, ones that's strong, the one that's, that's uh, in the center of the pack that's gathering together and it's always there. That's not the ones they pick. If you stand with me, we'll be finished here. <clears throat> I guess the word around here also with the fear of windows is desire. Why? We can look at Mr. Lucky in Acts 20. And it appears that he really didn't have the desire that other people did listening to Paul preach. Desire is to wish or to long for, to crave, to have a wanting, a longing for something that brings satisfaction to you. If you desire the things of God, he'll fulfill them for you right now. If you have a need in your life today, no matter what it is, God can meet that need today. How many believe that? But he can't if you don't do anything about it. He can if your mind is caught halfway looking at the world and halfway looking at the, uh, the church. God wants all of your heart. He wants all of your desire. He wants all that you can give him in all of your worship. That's the only way God will reach to you and see you. That's how I got the Holy Ghost. When I finally made my mind up that I'm serious about this and I'm not playing anymore, I have to have a desire for God. There's a, a woman with the issue of blood that's many times been used in the Bible. Her desire was as quickly and as easily as she could spend all of her money, go to doctors, do it man's way. Well, you've tried man's way. We've tried man's way. We've tried it our way. And sometimes it just doesn't work enough. I've got to do it God's way. And until she had the desire to go through, crawl on her hands and knees and said, if I can just touch him and get close to him enough, he'll heal my body. 
So the closeness of God is not in the back by the windows where I can look out and watch things. It's up into the close, to the front of where God is. My last Christmas thing, and I, I, I'll be done. Christmas goes next week. But I do love Christmas. When we were in Bible school in the 70s, there was a little four foot 11 blonde-headed Swedish girl named Evie Turnquist. Nobody's ever heard of her. No? Hi. I'll still use the example. She wrote a song called The Shepherd's Prayer. How many's ever heard that song? It goes about her sitting down and looking at the nativity scene that she had put together. And her eye catches the shepherd. And the shepherd is actually calling out to her to move me closer. Move me closer to the child. Let me touch him. Let me hold his hand. The shepherd was had the, the, the correct mindset that I've got to be close to God. And if there's ever a wish, if there's ever a Christmas wish, if there's ever something that we need to do, and all of us, nobody's exempt from this, is I need to be closer to God. I want to be closer to Him, don't you? Why? Because I don't want to fall out of the window. I don't want to have risked my life for anything foolish in the world because all of that's for naught. I want to lay up treasures to where God is. Amen. We're going to open this altar up today. If you'd like to, come down front. If you need something from the Lord, we'll pray with you. If there's something going on in your life that God needs to touch you in a special way, God is right here, right up close, up front. To be close to the Lord is where we want to be. That's where you'll find everything.
yesterday hallelujah more than last week hallelujah aren't you thankful for that promise that if we draw near to God he will respond and he will draw near to us it's not so far as we may think it is because God will meet us halfway if he's drawn near and we're drawn near then we're going to meet somewhere in the middle aren't we amen aren't you thankful that God is is always there he's a very present help, amen, in time of need, man, we just call upon his name, amen, before we close out the service, we want to ask if uh, brother and sister Chambers would come down here, uh, he is asked that we, we pray for them because he is, they're going to Jamaica and he's going to be baptizing his brother and sister, 
in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. And I don't know how old Brother Chambers is, but I would assume that his brothers and sisters might be around the same age, meaning maybe they've known about this for a while, but now they're finally accepting, say, I got to get baptized. And so I believe that there's a shifting happening in this world. There's a turning that people who know the truth have heard about it and say, now it's time. I got to call upon the Lord. I'm going to reach out to them. And so we want to gather around the chambers and pray for them that not only that he just baptizes them, brothers and sisters, but who else, who knows else who may be there that say, hey, I need to get in that water too. I need to get my sins remitted and washed away. Amen. Let's bind together and believe that God God can do something through them this day. Hallelujah, Jesus, Lord, in the name of Jesus Hallelujah. right now, God. We ask you, Lord, right now, Lord, that you anoint them, God. Lord, that you'd use them mightily, God, for your kingdom, God, in this time. Hallelujah, Jesus, that your light would shine through them, God. That your anointing, God, would rest upon them, Jesus. Oh, God, that would be a beacon of light, of love, and of truth. Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Yes. Hallelujah. 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 Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, we give you the praise. We worship you. We thank you for what you're going to do. God, that you are faithful, Lord. You are faithful, Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord, you hear our prayers. You know our needs, Jesus. You answer them, Lord. Hallelujah, 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 Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Blessed be your name, Jesus. Blessed be the name. Amen. If, if God can do it for them, he can do it for you. If you've got lost family members, don't, keep, don't, don't give up on praying. It can happen to you or believe in God. A mighty outpouring is going to happen. Amen. And God's going to show himself strong. Amen. Man, let's give him praise as we close out. Thank you, Jesus, for what you're going to do, Lord. Hallelujah. Go with us. Help us, Lord, every step of the way to draw close to you. Each and every day we look to you, God, for direction and help, God. We thank you, Jesus. Amen, amen. God bless you all. You're dismissed in Jesus' name. Amen. Don't forget, if you need, want some bread, gather some bread and encourage one another in the Lord. God bless.